1: This is an episode all about body image, but it's about body image in a way that you might never have thought of it before, because it's about ungendering body image. We speak with Dr. Charlotte Markey, who has been studying eating disorders and body image issues for the past 25 years. She's incredible. She's warm. She's thoughtful. She's accessible. She's real. She's a parent. And she's written books both aimed at girls and at boys. And what's so interesting about the conversation with Charlotte is that her experience is really similar to mine. Having written books about girl bodies and boy bodies, we've both landed in this place where we think the gendering of our topics is a little silly. That some issues are gendered for sure, and there's some details that are different, but most of it actually has nothing to do with the gender that you identify with, or the genetics of the sex chromosomes in your body. I hope you enjoy Charlotte as much as we do. Hi, Charlotte. Hi. We're so thrilled to have you here. Let's jump right in with a definition of the term body image. So this is a phrase that's tossed around all the time. Can you give your definition of what it means?
2: Absolutely. And I want to say too that my definition has really expanded in the last, I'd say, five years even because body image researchers will say body image is how you think and feel about your body, which is all true. I think that that makes it sound like this is a superficial construct. And it's really not. It's really so much more than that. It's not just, I don't like my hair. It's literally, are you comfortable in your own skin? Are you comfortable with yourself? And that has such serious implications for our health-related behaviors, our interpersonal interactions, and of course, for our mental health. Body image is so strongly related to anxiety, depression, eating disorders, that this is absolutely not a superficial issue.
0: I love it when experts talk about the evolution of their opinions, their approach to a topic, their understanding of a topic, because it gives lay people the ability to have their own viewpoints evolve. And that's so critical, particularly when you're dealing with two major issues that we're going to talk about today. One is puberty, which is all about transformation. And the other is how adults can care for kids in puberty, which is like probably the most complicated role anyone in the entire world can ever play. And we are constantly evolving in our own approach. Give us a sense of when an adult is thinking about how their kid sees themselves, believes in themselves, doesn't believe in themselves, approaches their body, what definition can they put in their pocket to say, okay, This is what I'm thinking about when I look at this child who's growing and changing and evolving in front of my eyes.
2: In terms of just their body image?
0: Yeah. Like, you know, oh, she has great body and she's terrible body image, but what the hell are we talking about? Right? What (laughs) What are we really exploring? Because it's so, as you say, it's so complex. It affects so many
2: different aspects of our lives. But like, what is it? I really think it is just, are they comfortable with themselves? Are they, you know, sort of okay with who they are? And a part of that, especially during puberty, is relating to themselves physically and how they feel about their physical self. But that's not the only piece of it. And I mean, how many kids are actually really Comfortable with themselves while they're going through puberty. Right. Right. And, you know, the more I do this work, I've been doing this for 25 years now. I don't think many adults are that comfortable with themselves. And so, us as adults are in a position of parenting kids through this massive transition and wanting them to be secure, wanting them to feel good about themselves. And oftentimes still lugging our own baggage with us because we never really figured out how to feel comfortable in our own skin. And so I think it's, you know, it's just so complicated, which is part of what I love about this. And I love the challenge of thinking through it and thinking how to make it easier for kids and parents. But I don't think there are a lot of simple answers.
1: Can we break it down into two distinct tabs? Can you first tell us what advice do you have for the adults? What steps can they take to get comfortable with themselves? And then I'm going to ask you to follow it up with, how in the world do we help kids get comfortable with who they are physically and otherwise, especially in a moment when they have no idea? where it's going. They don't know what they're going to look like. They don't know how tall they're going to be. They don't know how hairy they're going to be. They don't know if they're (sighs) going to have a horrible crop of acne. They don't know if they're going to be curvy or straight. And so we're asking them to suspend all of that and still feel good. So can you help give us a little concrete guidance? And let's start with how do the adults put their own life preserver on first? What steps do they need to take to start Getting comfortable with their own bodies and sense of
2: self? I think for a lot of us adults, it's a fake it till you make it game. Because, not that we shouldn't sometimes say to our kids honestly, like, listen, I get it. I feel awkward sometimes too in this situation or in this, you know, I'm not saying that we should just be completely inauthentic with our children. But I really do think that we've all grown up in this culture that tells us constantly we need to fix ourselves. There's something wrong with ourselves. There's a million products that will help you with this. And so that's really hard then to feel comfortable. So for the sake of our kids and for the sake of our own mental health, I think some faking it, you know, not talking about, oh God, these pants feel so tight or I just don't know why I ate all of that or whatever it may be, just don't verbalize that right? Don't make those issues for our kids. And then also I think it's, you know, what's a better incentive to try to improve ourselves than our kids, right? So in addition to maybe just silencing those voices for ourselves, kind of faking it through some of it, I think that, you know, there's great books we can read. There's great therapists who focus on these issues there's maybe even good friends or people in your life you can talk to. And I think it's worth spending some of our own energy, just kind of, you know, at least getting to a place of acceptance. It doesn't mean like, oh, I love myself every day. I think I'm awesome. But just, you know, kind of getting to a place where we're like comfortable enough.
0: I like that because the ideal isn't I absolutely love every aspect of myself and I embrace, you know, my cellulite up to my gray hairs, up to my ugly feet, right? It's like, there are parts of myself that I love and parts of myself that are fine. Charlotte, what does it sound like to fake it till you make it in front of our kids, right? Like you gave a couple of examples of what it shouldn't sound like. Oh, I feel so (laughs) fat. I ate too much. I didn't work out today. I don't deserve to have dessert. Oh, my nose is so ugly, right? Like we know what we shouldn't say, but are there things that we can say? Are there guideposts for speaking positively that don't sound so cringy and inauthentic that we're not just going to get mocked by our kids the minute it comes out of our mouths?
2: It's so funny because as you were speaking, all these things are floating through my head and I think, you know, now my kids are almost 15 and 16, so they would just laugh if I said some of these things now, but I think we have an opportunity before they're teenagers, before they can figure it out to be saying things like, well, you know, maybe my legs don't look like hers, but... I'm in great shape and I just ran that race or, you know, I mean, just sort of focusing on functionality of our bodies and less on their appearance, which is something we really want our kids to do too. Or, I mean, I actually really do think like the human body is amazing. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not a medical doctor, I'm a psychologist, but I, I know enough to just kind of be in awe. And when you're watching TV and you're watching an athlete or something, you know, if your kid's there and you say like, God, isn't it just amazing that she could just do that? Like, that's just incredible. You know, so to create some sense of of sort of wonder and that sense of being impressed with our physicality as opposed to, God, I wish I was thinner or, you know, whatever. I, I do think a really important part of this, though, is just not saying some of those things, mm. not verbalizing the disparaging comments.
1: And it's interesting because what you're describing is grabbing the teachable moment, but in the reverse of what we often talk about on this podcast, we often talk about grabbing the teachable moment when you're watching a show with your kid and a scene comes up where there are drugs involved or sex involved and you sort of press pause and have a conversation around it. And what you're talking about doing, which is a really wonderful strategy is grabbing the teachable moment in awe, watching an event and seeing someone do something with their body that is physically impressive and stopping and acknowledging it, or watching someone express how they feel about themselves and go, oh my gosh, that is incredible. I love how that person just did that. So I I like that as a tangible for what we can do in a space with our kids, frankly, of all ages. I think yeah. that for younger kids, it really resonates. I think for older kids, even though they do laugh at us endlessly, I think all three of us <laughs> can agree, our laugh at us endlessly, but they also register those things. How then do we flip it with them and sort of helping them to Gain that language and that insight about themselves, particularly when they're in the middle of it. So, your research focuses on how they feel about themselves and what they do with and to their bodies as an expression of how they feel about themselves in many ways. How do we help them through it when they're transforming and they really don't know where things are going to land? How do we help the kid? who feels heavy or fat or too curvy and vice versa. How do we help the kid who feels too skinny or too long and lean because we know the grass is almost always greener?
2: I think a lot of this has to do with really just always being a soft place to land, right? Where like they feel unconditionally appreciated and loved. And they know that we don't care if they are tall, if they are short, if they are curvy, if they are not, That that is not what's most important to us. And I think we have to be explicit about that because the cultural messages they get that are very different are also so explicit. And then also we kind of want to just you know celebrate who they actually are and talk about appearances as people who can't appreciate diversity and, you know, it doesn't mean that we have to be like crazy, unrealistic, but, you know, I do think that just hearing from their parents or their people in their lives, like you're going to look amazing, no matter which dress you pick for this dance. Well, and to acknowledge
1: how it has all changed to acknowledge when I was growing up, the ideal body looked like this Now, for you, you know, the ideal body looks really different. How wild is that? Just to own that sentence, right? The butts, big butts are in. That was not a thing of the eighties, right? So, to really have that back and forth with a kid is valuable and helps them to understand that this is a moving needle in many ways.
2: It totally is a moving target. Yeah.
0: I'm going to give you a scenario and I want you to (laughs) give guidance, because this is probably the most frequent scenario I hear from parents of kids of all genders in puberty. They come home and they say, mom, I'm so fat. And when we were growing up, the response was, oh, honey, you're not fat. You're beautiful.
2: Right. Right so I think more nuance is important here and we want to say to our kids, okay, well, why are you saying that? What led you to think that? Because a lot of times it's something someone else said, and there may be other issues that you want to explore and ask questions. I'm a talker, so it's hard for me to ask (laughs) questions and listen join the club. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I want to just tell them how to feel, but I am learning. I am working on it. I think we all can all work on it. You know, say, so, okay, so why do you feel that way? Did someone say something? Has this been something that's on your mind for a while? You know, try to get them exploring what's going on. Okay. And I think we really want to normalize in this conversation. Well, listen, your body is changing. And that's totally normal. And this may be how you feel today, but it might not be how you feel next week. And it might not be how you feel next year. And I know that because I lived through that and I still feel that sometimes from day to day or week to week or year to year. And it's just really cool that our bodies are really adaptable and they change. And we kind of have to roll with that sometimes. And You know, kids, as you guys know better than anyone else, you know, they often grow, as we would say, out before they Mm -hmm. grow up, right? They don't grow synchronously, so they may have big feet, but they're really short still or, you know, so there's this awkwardness. They look like the shape L. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. So we have, I to have just one say, of those like, in
1: my house.
2: <laughs> like, this is so cool, though. Instead of making them feel weird about it, see, like your body is going through so many cool things and it just happens at different times for different people. And so you feel that way right now, but it's so important that you take really good care of your body because you're going through a lot and talk about the cool things that are happening.
1: Hey, it's Cara. We all know puberty isn't always easy. One of the trickiest pieces of the puberty puzzle is boobs. When will I get them? Why are they so tender? And why does every bra out there seem to pull, push, pad, itch, scratch, or be so flimsy it doesn't do a thing? That's where UmLaw comes in. It's a company that makes puberty comfortable, a company I founded with my friend Julie. When our own daughters began the puberty journey, we couldn't find a decent starter bra anywhere. So we made one. It fits perfectly whether boobs are just starting to bud or they've been growing for a few years. We call it the Umbra, and it's game-changing. The Umbra is made from buttery cotton that feels like second skin, ridiculously soft and so comfortable you'll forget you're wearing anything at all. Umbra's one of a kind support Comes from its patented layered design that creates gentle compression without any tight binding, which also means it doesn't need any bulky, awkward pads because it's built to seamlessly hide nipples and protect against those dreaded ouch moments throughout the day. Our daughters and their friends are done with puberty, but they still love and wear their umbras. It's why we say that the umbra may be your first bra but it will definitely be your favorite bra. Come say hi, look around and find your umbra plus lots of other puberty info at myoomla.com. That's m-y-o-o-m-l-a.com. Vanessa, we literally have three minutes to eat lunch every day. I am not joking. And the challenge is how to make it delicious and healthy and still fit into that tiny window. Our answer is, So get meals on your table or at your desk in two minutes or less. Factor meals eliminate the hassle of prepping, cooking, and cleaning. You can customize with flexibility to get as much or as little as you need, and you can press, pause, or reschedule depending upon your lifestyle.
0: So to order... Go to factormealscom puberty50 and use the code puberty50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That code is puberty50 at factormealscom puberty50 to get 50% off your first box, 20% off your next box. And I am going to go do that right now because I need more factor meals in my refrigerator.
1: It can also help digestion, though too much helps your digestion too much, which is not a good thing. It can support muscle recovery. So bye-bye, Charlie horses. And it helps build dense bones, which is especially important for women approaching and in menopause.
0: We have an exclusive offer for our listeners. You can go to com slash puberty, dot com slash puberty. And you can use the code PUBERTY10 during checkout to save 10%. That promo code is PUBERTY10 at bioptimizers.com slash puberty. Your body and brain and family and business partner will thank you. And Magic Spoon is so confident you're going to love their product. It's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they will refund your money. No questions asked. They do not want you to send their cereal back to
1: them. Dry a bowl of Magic Spoon cereal today at magicspoon.com puberty and use the code puberty to save $5.
0: I want to get your take on a conversation we had with Zoe Bisbing, who hosts the Full Bloom podcast, who's amazing and gives lots of wonderful language. And we had this conversation about the phrase, kids grow out before they grow up, or the comments that parents often give, which is, don't worry, you'll lean out. All of these things, which are essentially saying, ultimately, it will be okay because you'll be tall and thin. (laughs) But the truth is, No, not everyone is going to be right? We (laughs) don't know. And not everyone is tall and thin and some people are short and fat and some people are anywhere in between. And so what I love about what you're encouraging is just a kind of wonder and appreciation for the human body and what it does without offering platitudes, which are actually not reassuring because they may not come true. And nor are they invalidating one experience and validating another experience. So I'm calling this as my practical puberty takeaway before we do it at the end of this episode. Charlotte, at the end of every episode, we do a takeaway and Cara and I compete over who gets to call their takeaway. I'm calling this as my takeaway.
1: Vanessa does this every show. She calls hers early. Just saying.
0: I'm calling it. (laughs) It's a strategy. (laughs) And I just want to bookmark this concept of approaching the changing human body with wonder and gratitude and appreciation without BS, right? It's not all easy. It's not all smooth. Sometimes it's smelly and oily and hard and uncomfortable and awkward, but it's really freaking cool. So thank you for giving that kind of energy and framework to this conversation.
1: Let's dive into gender for a minute. Yeah. So you like me, you write about a topic that impacts everyone, but you have written through the lens of gender for a lot of really wonderful reasons. When you write through the lens of gender, and you've written a book about girls and for girls, and recently one about and for boys, when you do it, you do it simply to call out a lot of the societal differences. Um, And what I mean by that is you, like me, recognize that it's society putting a lot of these labels on, and it's not really inherent to the gender difference in the body, that these bodies are going through transformation that is by and large the same. It's the way our world layers it that you feel you need to address. And you do so quite beautifully, especially in your new book, which I'm holding up right now but people can't probably can't see through their <laughs> podcast but it's called being you the body image book for boys which I loved. Let's just talk about the fact that when any of us say the phrase body image most people assume that we are talking about females. And yet the data is quite clear that boys, males are deeply impacted by body image issues and standards, and that kids who are transgender are even more deeply impacted. Can you walk us through the data a little bit and talk to us about the importance of ungendering this concept?
2: Yeah. And it's interesting because I think probably like you, when I was working on the book for boys, following the book for girls, so much of it was the same, right? Totally. Um, I mean, Cara there,
0: says that all the time. She's like, it's, yeah. it's amazing. There's like 10 pages basically that are different. And then there's so much that's the same.
2: Yeah. Or I mean, almost like to to make it more appealing to boys. It's like, I wanted to focus on Any differences I could find. And there's reasons why I keep going back to some of the same issues about like muscularity and supplements to increase muscularity and things like that, because that is a difference that we see boys being much more concerned about those issues than girls. But a lot of it's the same. And it's tricky to then explain that to people who are so used to thinking of this as a girl issue. Right. And I think some of it comes from this history. It's not just sort of our cultural understanding, but I think that there's this history in the research literature that's relevant. And, you know, there was no research on body image before the 1980s, essentially. And that wasn't that long ago. Let me make that clear. And this literature grew up right alongside the eating disorder literature. And that eating disorder literature also focused on only girls and adolescent girls. And what were we studying as scientists in those days? We were really looking at anorexia and to a certain extent, bulimia. And we were focused on girls interested in being smaller. And so then when researchers started asking boys, well, are you concerned about losing weight? Do you want to be smaller? And they say no. Then it was almost like we had a decade in this scientific literature where everyone thought, okay, well, boys don't have a problem here. Like we asked them the same questions we've been asking girls and they're not answering them the same way. And it looks kind of fine to me. And then when you start just framing it in a way that makes more sense to them, because they're not always interested in losing weight. But if you ask them, are you comfortable with your body? Do you like your body? Then you get the same answers you get when you ask girls those questions. And so there has really been this sort of evolution in in the literature, which then I think needs to inform the public discourse better, and and we're on the brink of that happening more, but I feel like it's barely happened. So said
1: another way, when we ask girls what they say their goal is, often is to lose weight, right? When we yeah. ask boys an open ended question, what they will often say is their goal is to gain weight, and that. Is the crux of then understanding why eating disorders and body image issues are essentially split equally among the genders, not like the data said in the 80s and 90s when I went to medical school and this is what we were taught 10% of eating disorders and body image issues are male, 90% are female. That's because we were asking the wrong question.
2: Exactly. Yeah. And it just took a while
0: to get here. And for boys, it's, I want to bulk up. I want to get bigger. I want to be cut. I want a six pack. I want an eight pack, right? Like that's the concerning set of goals. They're using supplements and protein powders. And I'd love to spend a minute actually talking about orthorexia. If you could talk about that particular, because it feels tied in to boys as well as many, many, many adults that I know. Um, yes. So can you yeah, can you define <laughs> that for our listeners? Because I've actually seen a little bit, there was a New York Times piece about it, but then eating disorder specialists had issues with the definition that the New York Times journalists used. And so how do you define orthorexia?
2: So orthorexia is not a clinical diagnosis, according to the Diagnostic and Statistics Manual as of now. And so there is a category of eating disorders that are like an unspecified sort of catch all category, right? And I actually think that category, that diagnosis is incredibly important because a lot of people just don't meet the criteria we have for anorexia or for bulimia or binge eating. And yet their lives are consumed by issues of food and weight and body And they need help, right? And so that's where this catch-all category comes from or comes in. And orthorexia usually then would be assumed in that um, diagnosis. Orthorexia is an unhealthy focus on trying to be healthy, Mm -hmm. essentially. And usually it comes with really rigid sort of food regimens and rules. And it often comes with extreme fitness, And we see this more in boys and men because that's really how their body image concerns seem to manifest more often. And in fact, when I interviewed boys for the book for boys, they would repeatedly say like, I don't have a body image issue. No, no, my body image is great. I said, okay, well, tell me about your eating habits. And then they tell me about how they were taking these protein powder things and they had cut out dessert and they were doing all these different things that were to try to manipulate not just their eating, but their body. And it was clearly a body image issue. Do you think that this is
1: tethered to the fact that there are now, today, multiple different body ideals for the female? body, but still really only one body ideal for the male body? Or do you think it's not as simple as that?
2: I'm not sure it's as simple as that because historically boys and men have had sort of more flexible ideals than women, right? The, the ideals have been, you know, prepubertal, oppressively thin historically for women. And that's changed a little bit in recent years, but they're still completely unattainable unless you get surgery. And so for men, I think that, you know, the sort of range of what's acceptable, maybe not ideal, but the range of what's acceptable is just much wider still. I think a lot of it is just that we feminize the conversation in popular culture for so long that boys don't relate to the language that girls use and they don't really have the ability to articulate their concerns. And so they say, I'm getting healthier And they may fall into something that looks very much like, or is orthorexia, that is an eating disorder. But even their physicians would say, oh, that's great. You're not eating dessert. Oh, that's great. You exercise every day. Great. Right. And you kind of have to dig deeper to realize, no, it's not great. The root
0: of eating disorders can be when a kid goes to the doctor's office and the doctor says, for sure hey kiddo, you gotta lose weight, right? And like that is not what we wanna have happen. And Cara, you've talked about your own approaches when you were in the office of like, how do I handle this?
1: What do I do do here? Right, because you feel tremendously conflicted when you're looking at the long-term consequences of a behavior or of a, a data point like weight or blood pressure. And when you look at the, short and long-term mental health implications of how you manage that. It is very, I mean, I hate to use the the term weighty, but it is weighty for pediatricians to finesse this conversation. So Charlotte, help us to think through the best language or some of the best language that a parent or an adult coach, a teacher can use when we know that the choices aren't great, whether it's overeating or undereating, eating the wrong foods or not eating enough of the right foods, what is some of the language or what are some of the strategies that adults can embrace to help the physical health without harming the mental health of these kids?
2: I love the way you said that because I do think that sometimes. What's good for mental health and what's good for physical health are almost at odds with each other,
1: Mm. strangely,
2: when it comes to this. And, you know, as a psychologist, I think I probably prioritize mental health, frankly. And so for me, I think of it in terms of we want kids to trust themselves, to feed themselves, to learn how to feed themselves, to learn what feels good for them, to try to internalize a desire to take care of themselves. Um, and to think of nutrition as a form of caring for yourself, mm-hmm. right? Which is different. Too many adults think of nutrition as like a way of punishing yourself, truly. And I think as adults, then when we have when we're raising kids, to me, it feels like we want to create an environment where this becomes possible, where we don't completely have like, you know, nothing that's I'm gonna use the word junk food, even though people have a problem with that, but nothing kind of junky or of low nutritional value in the house. We don't want to make it like all these forbidden fruits. So then when they go out into the world, that's all they want. But we also want them to have nutritionally dense options often. So it's kind of like you're curating this environment where they can develop good habits. And we can't do that by forcing kids to eat broccoli or by forcing them to clear their plate. We have such good data on this at this point. So we don't want to do those things, but we want to keep offering, right? You're modeling
0: for them a few things. You're modeling for them, A, that food's not a battleground, right? Yeah, we don't want to do that. The number one issue is let's not make it a battleground. Let's not force or dictate. You're also modeling that like, you keep trying and experimenting and like, Food and our relationship to food is a journey and you yep. might not like that, but you like this and it's a form of self-expression and exploration to figure out what feels good in your body and why certain things do and other things don't because it gives them another rung of self-knowledge, right? Like, oh, I didn't think I like this, but I like it. How does that then apply to friendships or you know, courses in college or all these different things where it's like, oh, I don't need to shut every door the minute one thing isn't right. I'm going to kind of keep exploring. But it's not about the two of you. You're just, as you say, curating a universe in which he can try things or not try
2: things and then move on. There's just these sort of logistical barriers to really doing good science. It, It will come, but we're not there yet, I think.
0: Charlotte, we often talk about, you know, the effort to delay kids' exposure to different platforms, right? So it's like, Uh we can't necessarily prevent it forever, but like, wait for them to get on Instagram or wait for them to get on TikTok or YouTube or whatever. And obviously the pandemic impacted that for a lot of families. And a lot of us made, myself included, made different choices than we would have had it not. Uh One of the things I've noticed, particularly around TikTok for boys is the trend towards guidance, information of these diets and this bulking up and really pushing it into these kids' faces about this ideal masculine body and how to achieve it and these sort of cult personalities who are really promoting it. Can you talk a little bit about... Because parents are so obsessed with how bad TikTok is for girls, but I don't think they realize what's out there for boys.
2: Yeah. I mean, TikTok is, I find most concerning because it's so captivating to kids. It's, you know, it's like their version of television, essentially. Um, I really, really do recommend to parents that they, especially if you're then allowing your kid to go on TikTok sit down with them a few times and have them show you what's popping up and talk with them about it and try to do it as non-judgmentally as possible and try to understand what they're seeing and and talk to them about it. And keep in mind that they are going to be curating what they're seeing. And so there is a point, I think, in saying, okay, well, that guy, that's not good information
1: my TikTok might have all puppies and someone else's TikTok might have tips for how to be a successful bulimic. And I think TikTok is great and that person finds TikTok very toxic.
2: Right, I get that. And I think though that what I'm suggesting is in trying to watch TikTok or look at Instagram or whatever it is with your kid, you can try to direct them to- Totally, to then get on a path in their social media where they're not going to be getting that dry scooping protein powder stuff.
1: Right, or even earlier in that funnel of what you're doing, watch with them to understand what information they are getting because that is an incredible window into the influences in their life, right? If If you realize that your child is being served tons of content about how to maximize protein powder ingestion in their day. And you had no idea that that content even existed. And suddenly you've watched five 20 second videos and you understand what they're being pummeled with. You can have different conversations with them. Now you're fighting against something very powerful. (laughs) Right. <laughs> which is the delivery of information in a captivating and sexy and addictive way. And frankly, your words sometimes don't stand a fighting chance against those images, especially when the protein powder is being scooped by someone who has a body that looks just like you want your body to look. So it's complicated
2: and layered. Oh, it's complicated and it's hard, but I think also we have to be somewhat realistic in that- Social media is not going anywhere. So, the best thing we can do for our kids is work on media literacy. And I think as they're getting on these platforms, spend some time and try not to be overly judgmental, but try again, ask questions. Does that look realistic to you? Oh, I don't know about that. What do you think? And see if you can encourage them to then end up on paths, get on an algorithm that doesn't. Include some of this toxic information. And why I think it's so important to not seem too judgmental. I mean, you can think it, we're all thinking it, but try not to seem it because then they'll come to you sometimes, or you at least have left open the possibility that they would come to you and say, I saw this on TikTok. Is that true? Right? I was actually shocked that my son a year or so ago saw something about a kind of contraception that he had never heard of. And, you know, they don't talk about it at school and and it was really not true. So I was really relieved too, that not that this is applicable to his current life as I understand it, but, you know, that he thought it was funny and intriguing and he would say, what is this? You and he know, he could come and, to you, he could ask you. I mean, it was like a really proud moment. I felt like, yeah. oh my God, oh, yeah. you know, you, you feel like you can ask us this. And I did were, something right. I did something right. <laughs> right. I mean, it's, I'm sure why I bring up the examples because I just felt like I'd really like, <laughs> you know, done something good as a parent, which you only feel occasionally. And so we don't want to just be like, oh, it's so awful because then we sound like every parent throughout history too. Right. If we're just like, oh, that music you're listening to is so awful or what, you know, I mean, it's just like, we, we have to be careful not to make ourselves so unrelatable that our kids are never going to come to us when they could get better information from us, which is very often.
0: We're going to wrap. I just want to make one comment. I've done my takeaway. So I'm going (laughs) to cede my time to this response, which is if you notice that your kids are watching stuff on social media that gives you cause for concern, that is information for you to clock in the moment and to sit and notice and not put your head in the sand and not explain it away. But that is important information that your child initially went searching for information about how to get bigger, how to be more muscular, how to lose weight, how to have this kind of body or that kind of body or whatever. Your kid is telling you something without telling you something. And so it's really critical to put that in your pocket and hold on to that. So Cara, do you want to do your takeaway since I did my takeaway in the middle of the episode?
1: You also just did another one. (laughs) Just I'm clocking I think
0: I just got busted. I just got totally busted.
1: I'm just just clocking it.
0: Did I cheat? Um, Did I just cheat? I just did Uh, two takeaways.
1: You did. (laughs) Um, I think, you know, one of the most important pieces of advice that you gave Many times throughout this conversation, Charlotte, was the notion of showing rather than telling. And you really leaned into that over and over again. Show your kids how to eat nutritionally dense foods instead of telling them to eat nutritionally dense food. Show your kids how to feel as good as they can about their bodies rather than telling them. And what show, don't tell really boils down to is doing your own work first and believing your own story. And if it's too hard for any of us to show rather than tell, then it seems to me a sign that we need to get some help from someone who can let us figure out how to put our life preserver on.
2: I think that's great. Yeah, absolutely. And like I said before too, what better reason to work on ourselves than for the sake of our kids? And everyone wins at the end if we can kind of get some of this as straight as possible in our own heads. But I think it's also okay to acknowledge and to tell our kids that these are hard, complicated issues and we don't necessarily have them all figured out. We don't feel good all the time. They don't have to have it all figured out. They don't have to feel good all the time. But, you know, if they need help, they can come to us.
0: I love that.
1: Thank you, Charlotte. Thank you,
0: Charlotte. This is a treasure. treasure. Your book is awesome. The Body Image Book for Boys, Being You. It's beautifully designed, super accessible, wonderfully written. It's really an amazing resource. And the world is so lucky that you put it out for people to use because this is a little discussed topic that is really, really important for people to think about and talk about with their kids.
2: Oh, thank you so much. I mean, it can make me feel a little emotional.
1: (laughs) You've come to the right place, Charlotte. <laughs> <gasps>
2: Thank you.
1: Thanks so much for listening. You can follow us anywhere you get your podcasts or check out our Instagram at the puberty podcast. If you have questions or stories to share, email us at the puberty podcast at com. And for more puberty info, check out myoomla.com or dynamogirl.com. Bye.